0: Hello and welcome once again to Telling Stories. My name's James Troopany and this is a Troopany Show podcast. It's been a while since I took up the Telling Stories mantle, about two years, and I stopped kind of in the middle or just the beginning of lockdown when a lot of things went on in my life that required my attention. And now I kind of have a feeling for doing it again, partly because... I couldn't get a Troopany show together this weekend in time, so I wanted to do something a bit different, and this is a bit better than doing a Q&A show or rambling for an hour about a show. So, I'm back, and hopefully I will do this more often. It probably won't be every week, but it certainly will happen on a regular basis. And we're going to start with the Forgotten Tag Teams. Where I left off, when I left you, the Sheepherders had been in the UWF, and Butch and Luke We're heading into their signature feud, the feud of a lifetime, with the Fantastics. So this is a story I wrote for WrestleTalk TV as part of my forgotten tag team series. And if you listen back to what's going on in the Telling Stories podcast playlist, you'll be able to find the start of this particular show. So without further ado, we'll get back to the story of the Sheep Herders. The Fantastics were everything the sheepherders weren't. Good-looking, young, athletic, and clean-cut. Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers could also work a streak and talk people into a building. Being good-looking young men, they also brought the female fan element, Rapture. In a territory that was built for rugged, man's man-type wrestlers, there was something completely different. Their effect was electric. While it was reminiscent of the series of the fabulous ones, the Fabs could brawl with the best of them. The Fantastics were a much more classical white meese babyface team. Crowds flocked to see this feud, which began in regular matches. Realizing he was onto a good thing, Bill watts up the ante over the series, and what better way to get those teenage girls screaming than to put the Fantastics' good looks on the line in ultraviolet matches? Accompanied by a new managerial acquisition, Jack Victory, whose association would later form another tag team, the New Zealand Militia, based on the Sheepherders' nationalistic fervor, by the time the Sheep Herders were relieved of their UBF tag titles, all four were carrying injuries from blade jobs that meant every match was a bloodbath. They wound up their series with the barbed wire cage matches. That deep was the heat Watts believed they could milk it for all it was worth. The two teams would have 37 matches in a, the two teams would have 37 such matches in a row, without a night off. Butch and Luke understandably felt it was time to move on and quit. They didn't even give notice. They just couldn't do it anymore. Exhausted and cut to ribbons, they left the territory before they lost any more blood. Their stay in the UWF may have been unhealthy, but it was creative and financially a success. They were also invited to Jim Crockett's Memorial Tag Team Cup under the auspices of Jim Crockett Promotions. Although their valuable time in the spotlight for a Charlotte-based office, allowing them valuable time in the spotlight for the Charlotte-based office and allowing future employers to see them on a national stage. Mirroring their efforts back home, they would dispatch Hector and Chavo Guerrero Sr. and surprisingly, the Rock and Roll Express, went on to a double disqualification match with the Fantastics, meaning both were eliminated, and kept their heat for their hometown UWF audience. They would head back to Puerto Rico and beat the Rock and Roll RPMs for the World Wrestling Council World Tag Team titles and stay put for six weeks in the summer of 1986, dropping man back to Mike Davis and Tommy Lane in September. They would then enter New Ground, Showing up in championship wrestling from Florida, who would be there to meet them? None other than the fabulous ones, returning to their home state. This time it would be over the NWA Florida tag team titles. Once again, they drew huge crowds, and once again, the Fabs would run them out of the territory. They would head back to Memphis and run into the AWA youngsters, who were along from Minneapolis, Bad company. Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond would later become a heel mainstay of the WF roster, and would have the Bushwhackers as their first feud, as the second Orient Express. The CWA, AWA International titles would be the foil this time. Winning the titles on January the 10th and dropping them back shortly afterwards. The Fabulous Ones then returned to Memphis and the feud was back on. This time as the original Sheep Herders. By now, the Sheep Herders were one of the most in-demand tag teams in the wrestling world. It was no surprise then that New Japan Pro Wrestling would make the call for the IWGP Tag League of 1987. The predecessor to today's G1 Climax Tag Tournament. For the Sheep Herders, it meant slightly more than a sedate turn of pace. When they left in March of that year, we back to Puerto Rico and on to another goal fest with Chris and Mark Youngblood over the WWC World Tag Team titles once again. That feud ended with a Steel Cage match and the Youngbloods regaining the titles on may the tenth. Then it was back to Florida. 1987 proved to be their most mobile year. Another Florida tag team title would be theirs courtesy of Mike Graham and old sparring partner Steve Kern of the fabulous ones. They would lose the titles back to the pair in August. Having traversed the globe in those few months and realised how much time they had left on the clock of their careers they must have been crying out for a steady job. It came in the shape of a return to the UWF. This time the chance they would beat was the team of Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong, the Lightning Express. Following on with the long tradition and best placement of putting them up against good looking mobile and scientific teams, they'd also be kept in place with Jim Crockett promotions bought out of the UWF in October of 1987. They would stay with JCP for two years. During this period, they would also pick up another flag-bearer for their nationalistic ensemble, Johnny Ace, who was developing as a rookie, and was attached to them and learned his lot in his pre-dynamic dude days. While a steady paycheck was nothing to be sniffed at, their running JCP, soon to be WCW, was not as memorable as elsewhere. They picked up again with the Fantastics, but now in corporate WCW, they couldn't be anywhere near as violent as they had been in the UWF. While those matches were good, they lacked the edge required, of Butch's and Luke's violent style. They were also much further down the card, having moved into a company trying to garner national exposure, who were concentrating on singles wrestling. They also had a lot of competition. The Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, the Horsemen and the Rock and Roll Express all called the NWA home at this point, so they would remain a mid-card team, while these megastars of tag team wrestling ruled the roost. Within the next 18 months, the Skyscrapers, the Samoan SWAT team, the Steiners and Doom would come up on the scene and change tag team wrestling forever putting the right in the wall for a pair of old-school brawlers who were purely on their heat getting ways. So when Vince McMahon came a-calling with an opportunity to do a lot less and earn a lot more, it was highly surprising that the sheepherders had become the bushwhackers. While they'd been the end of many jokes since they joined the WWF, it should be pointed out they did so many things that no other team had done. The first to wrestle consistently over three continents. The only team to break out of New Zealand circuit to a North American stage. The first team to turn the road warriors' face in Houston for Joe Blanchard. In fact, so over his heels, Blanchard ran an angle saying that and Williams had ironclad contracts until they gave notice, and so he could bring in a monster heel team of the week to try and get a shot of them. They were an arena-filling heel phenomena that truly found their groove in the Territory era, using a basic set of tools that helped them stand out from their peers, a truly one-of-a-kind tag team. After 20 years in the business, Vince McMahon trusted them to get on with the job of getting over, and for once rode the horse he was given. Butch and Luke made the best of their roles, throwing mud at the wall to see what would stick, and the Bushwhacker characters were born. Abomination to their core audience, but that wasn't the point. The point was to earn as much money as possible and shift as many t-shirts as they could. They were on a winner. In the end, age got to them. In 2001, after 35 years in the business, Butch Miller called it a day and headed home to New Zealand. Luke Williams moved behind the scenes working with Dutch Mantell, looking at WWC television before coming back into the ring in 2008, one last fun part time run and help publicise his gym in Florida. They now find themselves part of the WWE Hall of Fame, and given this record of achievement, it's hard not to argue with that. It's just that people often forget there are years of legwork to being an overnight success. Thank you very much for listening to The Forgotten Tag Teams, part of the Telling Stories series on the Trupani Show channel. My name's James Trupani. You can find me at Star on Twitter. You can find the show, Troopini Show, on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Patreon, where you keep Troopany Show free forever for everyone. We're also on Discord as the Troopany Show podcast and on Instagram as the Troopany Show.